Hi guys, welcome to another episode of my Friends with Wheels podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Lindsay Clarman and Ariel Bello of the Hearing, Speech, and Deaf Center. I really, I'm really excited to get to talk to them a little bit about what their organization does to help those who have hearing, speech, and those who are deaf. You know, figuring them out how they can sort of be independent, like live independent lives with the help of several tools and strategies and all sorts of stuff. I'm really excited to get to know a little bit about their background and sort of in terms of what they do in their work to help these individuals and how they can really, you know, be better members of the community and society at large. So I hope you tune in for this new episode. Okay, so first off, I wanted to ask like what the Hearing, Speech, and Deaf Center is and how you guys got involved with this organization. You know, what's your background um, in this aspect? Go for it, Lindsay, first. <laughs> so hello, uh, my name is Lindsay and I have been the executive director at the Hearing, Speech and Deaf Center for almost eight years, but HSDC has been around for a really long time. We're actually over 80 years old um, and we were founded by the community, actually by a group of mothers who had a speech reading and lip reading group and wanted to make sure that their kids had access um, to education. And then it built out from there and we started to add on different programming like education services, preschool services, advocacy services, which Ariel, who's with me, will talk a little bit more about. Um, we have interpreting services, and then we also provide clinical services. So coming in to get your hearing aids and doing your um, speech and language support. But the exciting news is I am going to be partnering with Ariel. We are moving into a co-leadership model. So soon I will be starting my first year as a co-director, a co-executive director with Ariel um, this year. So that's my connection to HSDC. I used to work as a sign language interpreter. I was a researcher at the University of Washington and grew up with deaf community. My grandmother was deaf. So um, I actually did my internship in college at HSDC. And then who knew a few years later, I would become one of the people to help run the organization. So that's my story. Ariel, over to you. Okay, hello, I'm Ariel. And let me explain a little bit of my background. Um, I'm Ariel, I'm deaf, and I'm speaking to an ASL interpreter right now, and I'm using sign language to communicate to the interpreter. So you hear a voice right now, that's not my voice. I am signing to this interpreter and she's using her voice. So I am here, I've been here now about 19 years. I've been working at HSDC, a longtime advocate for the deaf and hard of hearing community for many years prior to that. When I was young in high school, I started back in high school and have been here ever since. 
So really, uh, technically I'm from Seattle. I'm born and raised here, I'm a Seattleite. So I started my uh, first services were actually here through HSDC. My parents came here for services because they found out I was deaf and, and hard of hearing and they decided me, to put me here in uh, a service called PIP, Parent Infant Program. And that was big because that supported my parents and helped me guide me to who I am today. I still come, I, I supervise here. I, I, we have audiology services here. You can get your hearing aids done here. We continue to provide deaf or hard of hearing services, uh, promoting advocacy um, for deaf or hard of hearing, late deaf and deaf blind, all throughout Western Washington. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's, kind of, that's pretty interesting stuff. So like what I was going to ask is, what sort of services or programs do you provide at HSDC? Oh, we have a variety of services here. Uh, we have clinical services. So we have audiology and speech and language services. We have early education programs. So we have the parent infant program, as I mentioned before, we have Rosen which is a family center. And that is for deaf and hard of hearing by language uh, birth to five. Then we have an ASL sign language interpreter services. Well, that also includes captioning services. So providing captioning services. And if other services are needed, we also have our deaf and hard of hearing services. And that's more with advocacy, case management, the same concept as other disability organizations to provide direct peer-to-peer -peer service because our staff in the deaf and hard of hearing office, we provide direct communication. Um, we have a lot of the same experience and a lot of the peer experiences we can share with each other. I wanna make sure I don't miss any of these services. Let's see here. I think I covered them all, Lindsay. I think I said them all. Help me if I didn't. Okay, mm. we're thumbs up. <laughs> mm hmm yeah. That's, that's awesome. Uh, um, so like, are those services, how are those services funded? Um, do you guys like rely on state or local grants? What are the stakeholders that you're mostly involved with to provide those services? So this is Lindsay. So as Ariel mentioned, really HSTC is a resource hub that's redefining language and communication. So our whole mission in life is to remove barriers. The name of the game is access. We want people to have access to information, access to services. So we actually get funding in several ways. We get funding all the way from the state level to the county level and the city level. So tax dollars pay to support early support services. So a lot of times our parents who are hearing have never met a deaf person until they give birth to one. And we're there to help them navigate that. We oftentimes will have people who come in who need advocacy services like Ariel mentioned. And we make sure that we get monies from the state to make sure that they're, we're taking care of all of our community members. And that includes deaf and hard of hearing. 
We also receive money monies not only from those grant or from those government contracts, but we also get funding from um, different grants. So we've partnered with various grantees, um, Seattle Foundation, Gates Foundation, um, Safeco, Costco. We get funding from various um, places that provide grants. We also have some very generous donors who are part of our community um, who give donations. We believe in what's called community-centric fundraising. So any and all donations are welcomed with open arms. Um, we love when the community is able to give back and feed our ecosystem so that we can all have the same experience, like I said, having access to services. And then we also have other funding streams such as fee-for-service. So our interpreting agency, we get a contract, we provide the service, they pay us that fee. We do a training, we provide the service, they pay for that, um, for that fee of service. So those are just a few of the ways that we're able to create our whole financial model is from all of those various places. And it really helps a lot. As we saw with the pandemic, we saw that um, increase in some of that COVID funding, but some people weren't able to donate as much. So that made up some of that cost. Or you see other opportunities, right? We saw a great need for people to have access to information. Ariel's department in particular made something like almost 200 vlogs in the last two years because we put information that was in an audio version, like you're hearing today, in a visual media, making sure that it's in sign language or providing transcripts or providing captioning so that everybody has access to um, a similar experience. Ariel, did you want to add to that? Did I capture all of that correctly? Ariel here, yeah, you captured everything. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. That, that's, that's some, uh, that's fascinating, I guess. Um, like, so if I could get into like, sort of how you evaluate clients who are deaf, hard of hearing, those who have speech difficulties, like, how do you go about, um, what sort of strategies do you use to really um, help those in those groups, particularly? Um, like, how do you like sort of evaluate um, sort of what their sort of needs are uh, in that aspect? And how do you go about like addr addressing like those like issues? Like how, what sort of strategies do you do to like really um, make sure that you know people in these sorts of communities you know are able to communicate better and really live independent lives because that's i think that's a crucial point to emphasize here this is ariel and for me as for the deaf and hard of hearing services we tend to evaluate the full life that includes their background, their educational background to make sure where their needs are. Sometimes we'll provide some skill development or training, tips, whatever we need. And we determine by, by looking at and talking to the person and setting goals to make sure, you know, and it's a variety of different goals. Some 
people, you know, are in desk schools, some are in mainstream schools, some have had no access to education. So we have a whole bunch of different people and some arrive from other countries and are immigrant and they know a different sign language from a different country or they speak a different language. So we did a full gambit of evaluations just trying to make sure we can understand and see what they are, where the person is and what they might need. The audiology department also evaluates everyone, um, does a hearing test to evaluate what's their best hearing aid and fit for their needs and what can they afford as well. We don't believe in commission. We're not trying to get anyone to buy the most expensive hearing aid. We want the best fit for everyone's needs. If they have limited, we can't pay, we can help find them a way to receive their hearing aids so they have access to hearing. Um, the audiology department evaluates them. Same with the speech evaluation. Uh, they, we either do adults or children and we evaluate their speech services and what their needs are to make sure we provide full services without rejecting anyone. For early education, I'm gonna let Lindsay answer that part. She's more knowledgeable on that than I am. Thank you so much, Ariel. Yes, I mean, really, again, the name of the game is advocacy and access. So a lot of times we're doing systems advocacy where maybe the system isn't built for our folks that have diversity in their hearing or how they communicate or what mode of communication they use, whether it's speech or signing or writing. So really what we're trying to do is make sure that it is client driven and that means customization. And a lot of times that just takes longer. We believe in making sure that we get the right fit for that particular person. As Ariel mentioned, it's about the holistic approach. So we serve the entire family in education. You might have a deaf child who has hearing parents. They're gonna have different needs than a deaf child who has deaf parents. And even within those um, groups, what one deaf person needs might be different than another deaf person. But you are correct. We're all about independence. We're all about empowerment. And we're also about educating the system so that instead of creating a disability or creating a barrier, we're actually removing all of that because everybody has different abilities. Every has, everybody has different access needs. So we're really trying to just get down to the main place, which is everybody deserves access to a really good education. Everybody deserves access to that teacher that's going to help figure out what language you're going to use best for you to be the most successful moving forward. Building connection and relationship is really a big part of what we do. And our multidimensional approach is driven by deaf culture and sign language. And that benefits our diverse community who we share our lives with every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really important point. Just sort of like, make sure that all the education advocacy, like men together and just like, um, really do more on those parts, I guess. Um, so if I could ask, of course, like there are like all sorts of services for people with, with hearing speech and, um, and other difficulties, but what about for like folks who are in BIPOC communities or 
come from different economic and social backgrounds. How do you address those kinds of disparities when thinking about the hearing, speech, and deaf communities? So, yeah, this is Lindsay. I'm just looking to Ariel. I'll start and then I'll let her jump in because she has a ton of knowledge about this. Um, so you can't see me, you can hear me, but I'm a hearing white woman. I'm never going to be able to change that. That means that there's work that I need to do to make sure that I am going above and beyond to make sure that everybody has that same experience. We really believe at HSDC, we need to be representative of the community that we serve. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is evaluate what sort of company or organizational culture do we have so that we make sure that we're attracting a diverse workforce. That's step number one. Clients will be more comfortable when they have somebody who has a shared experience. So we make sure that all of our case managers, for example, are fluent in sign language and over 90% of them are deaf themselves. They have that lived experience. We make sure that our um, people in our clinic are diverse. They have a BIPOC lived experience in order to make sure that we are um, representing that. So I think that's the first step. The other piece was we realized like many organizations when the pandemic hit that the people who were most affected were those who were already marginalized. So people who already didn't have access had even less access when the pandemic hit. And so we took a really hard look at ourselves and had to be really honest about whether or not we could do better. And our internal equity team that we had formed a couple of years ago wrote a letter to leadership um, and to our board and said, we can do better. We demand that we do better. And we called ourselves to action. And we wrote out um, what we call our 11 commitments because we're overachievers. We couldn't just have 10. We had to add that extra one for bonus points. So we have 11 commitments, which is on our website, showing that we will make sure that we are driving that piece around equity, race equity, social justice, and belonging in every aspect of what we do, from hiring to seeing clients to funding opportunities to making sure that um, families come back because we are a life cycle organization. So sometimes people are going to come in earlier and then move on. Their kids graduate from preschool, but then maybe that person grows up and they want to look for a job. So they come and see Ariel and learn about job training. And then they go and find their job and then they go, oh my gosh, I need to get a new hearing aid. And they come in, they get fitted for their hearing aid so that they can be successful in their job. So we're making sure that we're with you every step of the way, but it's about what you need when you need it. And I think Ariel can talk a little bit more about how we're trying to shift um, at HSDC to be more representative and what it really means for um, BIPOC community to be part of, part of this and for us to make sure that we're supporting what's already in existence for them. Yeah. So myself, I'm deaf, BIPOC person. Um, and, you know, it's a new word that popped up more and more and more that we're seeing. And the word is uh, intersectional, the intersectionality. So we've had a lot of conversations about that in the deaf community because of intersectionality. Like, what does that mean? Should that be only for BIPOC people or people with disabilities and only that group who can use this word or 
can it be white in the white deaf community too? And then no, it's not for them because they can identify as one culture, they deaf, but the BIPOC community, we there's more intersectionality there because we have several cultures within ourselves. So that's one thing that's been a community discussion so far. And part of our services is that we recognize the need for a shift to change a lot of our practices and to make sure that we are looking at. So we provide holistic services, meaning not only them, but we have to look at the person themselves and we have to see if it's a BIPOC person, okay, how do we fight for them? What do we do? How do we go above more than beyond maybe some of the other clients more above and beyond than more than some other people, because maybe they don't have the same access to service and they never did growing up. So we're going to work harder for that group and find appropriate trainings to become better service advocates, better than them, than not, not knowing what to do and say, oh, I'm a limited service, you know, but you want to be there and you go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's important to take into consideration. You really got to take um, like a look, like what are some of the, how are we, are, like, are we addressing all sorts of people and how can we go about, you know, addressing, you know, those needs for um, particularly those in those communities. Um, yeah, it's all important. Um, if I could just like ask this last question here, like what can you guys like do as an organization? Um, Cause I know there's a lot of stigma um, around the hearing speech and deaf community. And so like, how do we go about reducing it in a way that, you know, where we can come collectively and sort of, you know, respect, respect one another and stuff like that. Basically my point is, what can the hearing speech and deaf center do to sort of reduce that stigma and welcome everybody, um, you know, re regardless, um, you know, of, of like what sort of um, impairments they may have? Like, how do we create a more inclusive culture for hearing speech and deaf people? Well, part of when we talk about inclusivity, uh, Lindsay and I, we have a group, a strategic group planning uh, committee right now. We've been talking a lot about more inclusive access. For example, you know, you have a group, you have an ASL group, and that doesn't include other deaf people who have different communication needs. Maybe they use speech instead, or maybe they use signed exact English instead of American Sign Language, or what we call total communication. So. How do we be inclusive of all of them, uh, all disabilities too? So it means we just need to be more inclusive to more accessible to all. So we need to recognize that our videos need to include all these technologies. You've got signs or sign language, you've got captions, you've got audio description because we wanna be there for all people with disabilities who have varying needs. And we can't just focus in on what we consider this deaf community that becomes we want to become more inclusive of all. Lindsay? <laughs> That's absolutely right, Ariel. And I think, again, for us, 
this is a no judgment zone. And if we are modeling the world that we hope to see or the problem that our nonprofit is trying to solve, which is really at the end of the day, all humans should have access to language and communication. That makes our communities healthy. That makes them authentically diverse. That makes them naturally inclusive. So a lot of times what we do is we challenge traditional thinking so that we can sort of flip that narrative. So this idea of impairment, a lot of times we'll joke and say, well, I don't need a sign language interpreter. I know how to sign. You're sign language impaired. I'm not hearing impaired, right? So just sort of reverting that frame of what is considered an impairment, what is considered a disability, what is considered something that is not normal. In our world, that does not exist. Everyone should be able to walk through our doors and feel comfortable using the language that they are comfortable using. And they should be able to communicate freely with people who are deaf or hard of hearing or use different communication modes, people who are neurodiverse, people who maybe don't use speech mode of communication. We also really believe in supporting diversity within the deaf community. That's what Ariel's talking about. There's a lot of misconception that all deaf people are the same. They all use sign language or they all use hearing aids or they all have cochlear implants. That's not necessarily true. So we work really hard to not make any assumptions, ask lots of questions and really get down to the root of what does that person need to feel successful. And sometimes it's nothing that they need to actually do. It's something that the system needs to do. And that's where we step in and we can be that guide by their side to access that for them. Because the world is built for a certain group of people, but we really believe that the world is built for everyone. There is no hearing world. There is no deaf world. There is one world where we should all be able to have the same access and move freely within. So that's the community that we're trying to build. And we're hoping that we can just widen our circle, have what we call deaf plus be part of it, have it have people who use different languages. Ariel is seeing a lot of people from different um, countries and communities move in. We're seeing a big immigrant population. We need to recognize that English and American Sign Language are not maybe the only things that we need to be providing. And again, we talk about all of these things like a seat at the table. Maybe it's not a seat at the table. Maybe it's a place where a wheelchair can wheel up to, right? Again, it's about what are you doing to create an environment so that person can move freely. I use the word, the term move, but really it's about having that fluidity of being able to be um, flexible because privilege at the end of the day is about choice. That is the definition of privilege, that you have options and that you have choice. So if everybody has privilege, everybody has options. Mm -hmm. All really important points. Um, yeah, it's really important to like um, be more mindful of people with disabilities and like figure out how they should be included in society and, you know, like be members, like be members of, our, of the community. And it's going to take a lot of work, but we can do it. We can do it. We're all in this together. <laughs> Hell yeah, definitely. I also want to just make sure that everyone, we, you know, recognize ASL as a language too. So if people prefer ASL to communication, that's our language. It's a language. For example, 
Like I pick ASL over speech or total communication. I prefer ASL. It's a nat- it's a language, a recognized language. So then it's easier to communicate with other people. So I wish all everyone knew that, but just we want to be inclusive and accessible as possible. And we want to make sure we're there for people who use ASL. All right, guys, that does it for today's episode of my Friends with Wheels podcast. I had the pleasure of talking to Lindsay Claraman and Ariel Bello of the Hearing, Speech, and Deaf Center about all things you know, HSDC and sort of what they do to help individuals who are deaf, hard of hearing, and who have speech difficulties, you know, be better members of the community and provide the tools and resources for them to be successful and live independent lives. I really got to enjoy, you know, getting to know them and sort of their work for that organization, I really learned a lot. I hope you tune in for future episodes of this podcast. Till then, see you later.